I'm Casey Miner, and this is The Specialist. I know it's been a little while, so here's an update on what I've been doing. I went to Patagonia on my honeymoon. Yes, in a certainly adventurous, though questionably romantic move, we spent nine days backpacking in Torres del Paine National Park in southern Chile. It was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. A few days of the hike are along a giant glacier, this massive sheet of ice, like an above-ground frozen ocean, with these deep blue fissures that glow even though the sky is very gray. I'm telling you all this for a reason, which is that we met specialists the park rangers and the guides. One ranger told us that he arrives at each 10-day shift via helicopter. If he wants to go anywhere else in the park while he's working, he has to walk. It's like 5 to 12 miles between camps, and if he doesn't do that, he just has to stay in his little hut until the next helicopter arrives. The rangers know every part of the trail, where to put down a board so you don't sink into the mud, when to warn you to get up and start hiking early so you don't get lost in a whiteout, when to linger and when to move fast. The quickest are the trail guides, these guys some groups hire to carry their stuff for them along the trail. There was one who was legendary, even to the other guides. He was the small, strong guy carrying a 90-pound backpack, and even on narrow trails with gusts of wind that could sweep you off your feet, he could move. At one point, we were picking our way down this hill, trying to balance with our own much lighter backpacks, and we just heard this yell behind us like, ah! And we turned and barely got out of the way before he ran past us, still yelling, arms stretched out for balance, and disappeared down the hill. Things like this tended to happen fast, and I mostly didn't record while I was hiking. I am truly sorry about this. But before the hike, we saw some penguins, and I did record them. Okay, so then I got back and got to work on The Specialist Season 2. I'm really excited to introduce you to The Specialists we have coming up. In our first episode, we'll meet a man whose job is to be the mock attacker in a women's self-defense class. It's emotional for her, and I felt like I was just like the Michelin tire man, like walking through a china shop of someone's life, you know? And I'm like backing up a woman, and you're calling her a bitch. And at the same time, you're thinking like, am I presenting a good target? Am I close enough to refer to a hit? Oh, what am I fucking up? Am I doing permanent and lasting damage to someone? Am I re-traumatizing people? I don't want to re-traumatize people. I really want to help them work through trauma. Does this even work? Well, does it? You can find out when that episode comes out in March. This month, I want to share a story I heard recently about a specialist who learned her skills in a way I don't think any of us would want to replicate. It's by producer Anna Sussman from our neighbor Snap Judgment, and it's so good it made me have a driveway moment in a Walgreens parking lot. Seriously. Anna and Snap were gracious enough to let me feature it for you, so here it is. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And stick around afterwards for another sneak peek at The Specialist Season 2. Okay, this is Hunted. In the still early hours of the morning in the Cottonwood campground, deep in the Colorado desert. A tiny nine-year-old girl named Mandy quietly pulled on her sandals, opened the door to her family's camper, and tiptoed out into the vast desert. When the family woke up, they had no idea where Mandy was. All they saw was sand. Everything in me stopped. Everything goes empty. I felt a deep empty dread, and especially for a child. Hannah Nyala was the first person to respond from the Joshua Tree Search and Rescue Team. 
we got the knock on our door. I got sent immediately to the campground to try to secure the scene, to try to figure out if we could get a footprint, to do all the basic things that you have to do uh, to try to lock it down. The first thing Hannah did was talk to Mandy's mom and sister about Mandy's shoes. What size were they? What did they look like? Hannah was able to find an imprint of Mandy's shoe pretty easily near their camper. She drew a picture of it, measured it, and then went searching for a trail of these tiny footprints to lead her out of the campground. I went alongside the main road of the campground about 30 feet out. Time felt split. It was absolutely racing like a freight train. On the one hand, with me being behind Mandy and not having a good track yet. And then the other piece of it, time was passing excruciatingly slowly uh, while I was looking for that first footprint. It took less than an hour for Hannah and the tracking team to find Mandy's trail outside the campground. Hannah circled the first footprint with her tracking stick, a sawed-off golf club, and then she followed little Mandy into the desert, step by step. As the hours passed, we were aware of the time. What I think about in the desert is temperature first. It's going to start dropping quickly. That's foremost on my mind more than anything else, is we've got to get to this child before she's facing hypothermia. After more than an hour of working the track itself and on her trail, um, we then had uh, one helicopter in the air, and there was a fixed wing as well, which also was crisscrossing the area. They built a search base, emergency operations vehicles, a fuel truck. People were bringing meals in. It was a big effort. There were a lot of people. There were well over 100 are you building a relationship with her in your head? You do. You, I build a relationship from the beginning. By the time I found the first footprint, I was as connected to Mandy as I could get to a person. And when I started calling her name, you're calling her Mandy, Mandy. She was not my daughter, but I felt about her as if she were my family. I was that focused on bringing her back. Here's where Hannah's story becomes incredible, because her actual family, her son and daughter, were missing. Uh, By the day that we started this search for Mandy, my daughter and son had been missing for well over a year. Before she ever became a search and rescue tracker, Hannah led a very different life. She owned a retail home decor shop in Oklahoma, and she was in an abusive marriage. For years, she endured brutal violence at the hands of her husband, until the night she had had enough. He choked me into unconsciousness. Now, he had done that before, but this time, it hit me really hard that my two children were in their bedrooms in that house with him and that I was dying and would, they would have nobody then. One day later, Hannah hurried her son and daughter into her car with a backpack full of clothes and drove away into hiding. 
I did not expect us to survive. I believed that it would just be a matter of time till he caught up with us and did what he had always said he would do if I ever left. So Hana sought protection from police, family service agencies, private security guards. But she says her husband found them over and over again. She says he hunted them. At several points and in four different states, we had the police involved and had police protection. And the officers put me in a Kevlar vest, a bulletproof vest. They had a person stationed outside the house and inside the house, outside the door of the bedroom that my children and I slept in. Her ex-husband did get the kids. A judge allowed him temporary custody. She says the judge argued that wife abuse was irrelevant to child custody. He took the kids, and he didn't bring them back. He'd have her daughter call Hannah, and then snatch the phone away and say, you'll never see your kids again. Hannah moved from state to state, and eventually moved to the middle of nowhere, here, to the desert. The desert at first was off-putting, because it was so forsaken, and I did not really know why (laughs) I had chosen this. She started to work as a volunteer park ranger, but it turns out, as a survivor of abuse, she was particularly well-suited to tracking missing persons. So she was invited to join the Joshua Tree search and rescue team. As a battered woman and someone who was actively being stalked still, there are certain things that I pay more attention to than you would. So you don't necessarily need to see if there are footprints around your house, coming to your house at night. The level of vigilance that you have to have in order to stay ahead of somebody who's stalking you gives you really good skills, actually, for being a tracker. That kind of vigilance doesn't let a lot of stuff slide. When Hannah and her kids would come home at the end of the day, she would search the ground around her house for tracks. The road has become a, a single track, yep. rutted pavement, and there was a dead coyote in the middle of the road, and here there's just telephone poles and sand, and that's the house? That's the house. Well, it's a nice little house. It is easily driven around before right. you come in. You can see tracks and footprints all the way around. The fence was Looking for a footprint on hard-packed, gravelly sand takes a mind-boggling attention to detail. Looking on the desert floor, all I saw were sticks and pebbles. Kind of right in this two square feet in front of us, what do you see? Well, at least six different people have passed through here. You can see that people have stepped on, see this little stick right here and rock? That's been stepped on. I have to say, I see nothing where you're pointing right now. I just see dirt. Okay. You have part of a shoe here, um, and now, I mean, a grain of sand just fell down from it. Did you say a grain of sand just fell off of that rock? Yeah, it did. You saw a grain of sand fall off? (laughs) Yes, I did. That's the kind of detail. It seems to be, to me, an awfully exposed place for a vulnerable person to go. It is extremely exposed, but when you are in a place like this, it is not easy to come up on me unawares. I see you coming from a long ways away (laughs) in the desert. And it provided me safety at a level that I'd never had. 
But she wasn't entirely safe. She still couldn't protect her kids from everything. And even in the desert, her husband would manage to get the kids again. At one point, he took them from a court hearing and disappeared. There was a nationwide manhunt for her son and daughter. As ironic as it seems, when somebody leaves on foot from a place, I'm good at that. I can get out there and I can follow them and I would have a chance at finding them. When somebody drives off in a vehicle down a four-lane highway (laughs) with two children in the car, you have absolutely no easy way to follow them and know where they're going. I was sad for them all the time. No matter what I was doing, I was absolutely broken and sad and scared for what was happening to them. For the duration of that search for Mandy, for example, it became, she was their child technically, but in a way, the stakes are as high as if it were my daughter out there missing and I was looking for her. I probably had been going maybe three hours because we hadn't been getting detail for a while. We were in a really sandy area and she was doing a lot of weaving in and out and around and so the direction was changing quite a lot. Um, Crossing washes and turning back on herself and all of that kind of thing. She was getting tired and confused. And then she looked up the wash to see a little nine-year-old girl trotting towards her. I heard her saying, I'm Mandy, and she came into view. And <laughs> we, There was a general huzzah across the desert from people all over the place. I was just immediately sort of swept up in that, she's safe, she's safe. But when Hannah walked back to her home that night, she was still without her kids. It didn't help my children a bit what I did that day. And my children were still not out of danger, and I had not one whit of skills more to be able to get them out of danger. Eventually, her husband dropped her kids off at her door, only to take them again years later. The last and final time he took them, local detectives in the sheriff's office issued an interstate APB for her missing kids. While police across the country were searching for her son and daughter, Hannah waited by the phone. It was a chilly day here in the high desert. I had not been able to focus very well with the children being gone. I got a phone call from the investigator's office that they had located my ex-husband in another state, and they arrested him, um, and then went in, and the children were not there. Always before, when my children had been missing, I felt that they were alive in the world. When I got that phone call that he'd been found and they had not, I did not have that feeling. I was completely empty. And I went outside in the desert. I stood there. I listened. I sat for long hours just on the ground, just sat down on the ground. I didn't track. I didn't think about tracking. I was just empty because I couldn't feel them anymore. It was a a message on my answering machine. And the blinking light on on my answering machine always signaled terror to me. 
but it took me some time to get to the machine and actually press the button and to listen to it. And they had left a message from the district attorney's office and the investigator saying, we found your children, we found your children. They were alive. And I just stood there, empty and weeping. <laughs> if this were some versions of Hollywood, it would have been tracking that brought my children home. The kind of tracking that I do is very simple, very down to earth. It is step by step, but none of those skills, except the practice of tracking itself, helped me with my children. The practice of tracking kept me alive and gave me hope. Thanks to producer Anna Sussman and the team at Snap Judgment for letting us feature that story. If you're still curious, you can find more information about Hana Nyala on her website. That's pointlastseen.com. Or just head over to Snap at snapjudgment.org. Hana developed self-defense skills on her own. Our next specialist helps people like her by giving them a safe place to be very, very scared. All of a sudden, you, you get somebody grabbing you from behind saying, come here, bitch, or don't say anything or, you know, keep your mouth shut, and then you just have that split second of, like, can I do this? And then you hear everyone cheering, and you hear the whistle talking to you, and you're like, I can do this, and then you fight like hell and get out of it. Check your feeds in March, and follow us on Twitter at the Specialist FM or Reed Minor. that's R-E-E-D-M-I-N-E-R. In the meantime, if you like what you're hearing, why not tell a friend about the show? You can hear all back episodes at our website, specialistpodcast.com. Yes, we have a website, and it has a donate button. If you have a little to spare, please consider giving. Even a small amount helps us find new specialists. The specialist is editor Julie Kane, sound designer and composer Seth Samuel, and me, Casey Miner. We'll be back soon.